Hello and welcome to Governance Matters from Corporate Secretary, the show where we examine the work of governance professionals and the latest developments they face. I'm your host, Editor-at-Large, Ben Mayden. Now, in recent weeks, we've heard and written a lot about the 2023 prop season from the perspective of asset managers and governance professionals at US companies. But today, we hear from a leading shareholder advocate on climate and other ESG issues about what recent developments mean for companies and the nature of next year's proxy season and engagement. With Climate Week taking place in New York later this month, I spoke with Daniel Fougere, President and Chief Counsel with As You Sow, about what falling rates of support for ESG-linked proposals mean and how far that may be due to proponents filing what some asset managers complain are overly prescriptive resolutions. Fougere also shares her thoughts on anti-ESG efforts, how companies are engaging around climate change and other issues that As You Sow seeks to address, and the importance of Scope 3 greenhouse gas disclosures. So, Danielle, for, for any of our listeners who perhaps may not be familiar with As You Sow's work, could you just give us like a very brief kind of overview of the mission um, and how how your interaction with companies work, if they are to ever encounter the group um, in their in their work? Sure. So we are a nonprofit organization. We have been working with companies for 30 years. And what we do is we are a shareholder representative. So we represent shareholders, whether they're individual shareholders to large institutional shareholders um, to raise issues of concern on environmental and social issues. In essence, what we tend to do is raise issues that companies may not be thinking about. So what are the concerns on the horizon? What are the risks that we think companies are not dealing with appropriately? Where are investors concerned? And um, we go from there. Mm -hmm. So we will engage companies on those issues. Okay, thanks. And um, it's been an interesting proxy season, or the the one that finished a a, a month or two back now, as always. Could you sort of... um, before we get into the overall themes that we're seeing, could you maybe give us a, a sense of what you were focusing on as a group this year, which issues were, were on your sort of top of mind and how you sort of fare, where you felt you made, made the most progress with, with companies and pushing forward your, your, your ideas? Right. So we have been working a lot on climate over the past since 2013. We continue to work on plastics, ocean plastics, and um, the issues surrounding use of plastics, disposal of plastics. We work on social issues, including um, diversity and social justice. So what are the issues that companies might face with regard to those issues? We deal with environmental health. So issues around pesticides or um, antibiotic use in meats. And that that's a probably a quick summary. We also deal with executive compensation. So where are um, CEOs being overpaid? What are the issues of concern around executive compensation? Um, I think I think those are our primary issue areas. We also have tools that we um, that help investors understand what's in their portfolios. So we have um, tools that uh, allow people to look into the companies in um, their index funds, in their mutual funds. We also do some voting now recently. So as you vote, um, we help people vote their shares. You know, so you, you you engage with companies based on, you know, those areas that you're focusing. Were there any in which you found companies to be more 
willing to engage with you, sort of receptive to your ideas. Obviously, climate has been very much, you know, front and centre for a lot of people, and that's obviously gets the most number of proposals in the last sort of few uh, prop seasons. But uh, any areas where you're finding more responsiveness from from companies? Well, I will say with regard to climate, that has been a significant investor concern, continues to be. And what we find is that most companies also recognize the potential that climate change can impact their business, not only the way they do business, but their ability to conduct business. So when um, supply chains are breaking due to storms or heat, when food can't be grown, all of these things raise concerns about the ability to do business. And so so companies are, when we knock on their doors, we rare, I, I think, you know, it just hasn't happened in the last few years that a company says, I don't believe in climate change, or we're adverse to taking climate related action. It's more what, you know, what, what are they doing? How quickly is it in, you know, aligned with what investors have expectations around? And as you know, of course, that average support for ESG proposals was down this year. And as I'm sure you've also heard all many times, that's being attributed in some corners to proposals being more prescriptive, more action-based, from disclosure-based, which of course in, in, in turn is um, attributed to change to the SEC in terms of their 14A8 sort of no action decision-making. Um, and I just wonder what you thought about that as a, as a diagnosis for sort of, you know, the seeming sort of slight drop-off in support for ESG uh, resolutions. So I think that there are probably, there are, there are a range of causes. I, I do agree that as climate um, disclosures are being made and we see companies making disclosures, which are important to investors, they still may not be actually hitting their targets or doing what they say they're doing. So you do get into a position where investors are asking companies to take specific actions, for instance, setting greenhouse gas emission standards or setting 1.5 degree aligned standards. So um, I, I would agree that inevitably, when you have an issue as important as climate change and disclosures are being made, but action isn't following appropriately, yes, proposals do get more prescriptive. And so this is something that, um, you know, there are many investors who take positions that they are uncomfortable with prescriptiveness. And, and that's something that we need to work through because at some point it's not enough just to disclose if, if the action doesn't follow. I also think anti-ESG had quite a bit of, you know, it had some impact this year, including um, a well-timed letter from red state AGs right before proxy season suggesting that anybody who voted for our proposals would be in violation of antitrust, which is mm. very out there theory, but um, they still threw it out there. And I think that that gave cover to many large um, asset managers to not vote for our, our proposals. And so I think that had something to do with it as well. That's probably what I think are two major reasons why the votes were tended to be lower and, and primarily because of the largest asset managers. Right. Absolutely. And, and so I guess in, in a sense, it's, um, as you say, it's, it's working on that, that stance that they might have in the same way that sort of X number of years ago, they wouldn't necessarily have supported disclosure proposals and have sort of come around to that sort of way of thinking you would you would argue that you know more education might lead to investors being supportive of more action based proposals 
Am I, am I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. No, that's absolutely right. Um, and, and we, we address this, you know, many times. So when I'll just use it as an example, when we started looking into nanomaterials, that was something that no investor, you know, most investors had not heard about. Some were aware, but we raised the issue of nanomaterials and food. What would be the impact of that? What was the cost benefit ratio of using an untested ingredient like nanomaterials that so far all indications indicated could be harmful to people to make your donuts wider? So we do, you know, this is part of the shareholder proposal process. And I think why Congress created it to raise issues to companies, to raise issues to other investors and to you know have a grapple to to grapple with that because climate when we first started raising climate issues investors didn't necessarily know specifically what they wanted but they were concerned they met with companies companies were also trying to address how they were going to um, satisfy investors concerns but also deal with climate change and so that's part of the ongoing dialogue and engagement is working between companies and investors and saying, okay, sharing information, sharing concerns and talking about how to move forward and in a way that makes sense for both both sides. I don't want to say sides, but both investors and companies who are part of the same, you know, company. Mm -hmm. So you, this kind of the argument and just wouldn't about the quote unquote prospective nature of proposals wouldn't tend to, for you as an organization to maybe roll back, roll back a little bit, be a little bit less quote unquote prescriptive in next year? Would it affect how you approach proposals, do you think? Um, this is something that we know is an issue. And I think to some extent where there needs to be more prescriptiveness, what we are trying to do is demonstrate why, how that is, how it's important to shareholders, what the risks are that are not being addressed, how companies can improve their value over time, and reduce risk by taking action, even if it's slightly prescriptive. So it's more an opportunity to raise, you know, we, we raise those issues in shareholder proposals through the process. There is much discussion about mm -hmm. the next steps. And so I think that it's, you know, we will always try to make proposals that will, you know, create proposals that will get the highest votes. Mm -hmm. Although sometimes we'll just have to move forward because the issue is that important sure. and we think that it's in the long-term interest of companies to and investors to address those issues you mentioned anti-esg and again as you know there's been a, a sharp uptick in the number of anti-esg proposals in the last couple of years um whether or not they're obviously whether or not they're labeled as such um until you get into the supporting materials when it suddenly becomes very clear that they mean something very different from uh other people using a similar kind of proposals. And they've not gained a great deal of support. I think a lot of number of investors have become or are conscious of some of the number of groups that are doing that, even though there were new groups this year. Is it is it something that gives you sort of pause for thought, just in maybe in over the medium terms, whether there might be a movement in that direction that they might in the same way that there has been towards pro-ESG sort of proposals over the last sort of 10 years. Um are they in the foothills of, <laughs> of success or do you just still think that's just doesn't have much uh uh carriage weight i think for the most part for the most part their votes actually declined this year so um they as do other investors have the opportunity to raise their concerns so far as we've seen their concerns do not um you know have not made sense to the vast majority of investors 
or two companies. So I, I think that I don't think that you're going to see more acceptance of the the issue, you know, the positions that are pretty much outside of the mainstream and and don't raise issues of risk except to, you know, it may be a very minority of Americans that that think as they do. So I'm not worried that they will gain traction. They haven't, I don't think they will, but they have the opportunity to raise those issues, which is part of the process. Uh, you know, in, in uh, as you saw a sort of proxy season review report that came up recently, that there's still been quite a high number of uh, proposals that are withdrawn after, you know, as you saw and, and other proponents have reached agreements with, with companies. What do you attribute that to you sort of generally and, you know, in, in your experience and as you saw's experience this year, how has that sort of manifest itself are companies more willing to do this or as you say like you know as you say particularly when it comes to climate more companies are just acknowledging i think this is the way of the, this is the way the wind's blowing so to speak what do you yeah what do you see happening in in, in terms of willingness to reach an agreement yes we we are still reaching agreements with um nearly half of the um proposals that we bring so companies are still um you know, I, I've heard this when we've gone to companies. Yes, we we know that this was coming down the road. We know we need to do something. So let's talk about what to do. Um, so, so I think that that's an acknowledgement that the asks are not too stringent, that, um, that companies know they need to deal with climate risk. And, and also, as we, you know, right now, most of the largest companies have greenhouse gas targets. Now, they may not be full greenhouse gas targets, and it may be only scope of one and two. Um, but we're also asking smaller companies. And what we're finding is that as people go, as companies talk to their own suppliers, those suppliers are getting requests from a whole lot of the buyers and, and companies with whom they work. So we're starting to see that the system itself is changing and companies that don't change are much more at risk than because as more and more companies have targets are um, trying to adjust and become lower carbon, that means that those companies that are not acting are, are at more risk because they, they don't have products perhaps that people want to buy because of their carbon content. They aren't looking at the risks associated with climate. So those things are important, but Back to your question. Yes, <laughs> we are seeing companies continue to um, to take action. We work with them. Where are they? What are the next steps? So it's we take companies as they're as they're, you know, where they're at. Not every company has done as much as other companies, but they start where they're at. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking of scope three, um, we're tracking scope three emissions. You know, obviously that's that that's supposedly part of the SEC's climate risk uh, proposal, but would only apply to a limited number of companies and we're not sure what that, how broad that scope is going to be yet, um, the scope of the scope three. Um, but often, you know, when you talk to companies, as I'm sure you, you do, they, they, their concern is that we just don't know how to, essentially we don't know how to do this and we don't know how to get it right. And then there are concerns they'll get beaten up either in litigation or by the SEC if they don't get it. Right. But from your point of view, do you would you rather see uh, people making the best efforts and just say, hey, you know, but maybe with some sort of like disclosure saying, look, we've done our best. This is the best we can figure out. Or would, or do you or how important is it for you to there to be like absolute accuracy? So absolute accuracy is not possible right now. And I think investors mm -hmm. are very clear about that. So um, the 
what we do is when we approach a company on scope three, we ask them to start gathering data from their suppliers. Now, many of those suppliers are being asked by other companies to also provide that information. So when we hear companies say, well, it's impossible, it's too difficult. The fact is, is that as one company said, you know, they were very reluctant to, to ask their suppliers, but when they finally did, they found that 30% of their suppliers already had their own greenhouse gas targets. Mm. And I, this is the importance of scope three. So if companies aren't going down their supply chains, if they're, you know, maybe they have transportation companies that serve them, if those transportation companies aren't reducing their emissions, um, then the company's emissions, you know, when you look at scope three, won't be reduced. If transportation companies are adopting efficient vehicles, electric vehicles, then that has an impact on the um, car companies. So it's the what we are seeing is that as you go down the supply chain, um, it may be difficult for companies or they may think it's harder than it is. It's not an easy task, but you ask the questions, your suppliers give you information. That information may be um, broad and maybe not as specific as we hope, but it gives you a, a, a concept. And frankly, consultants are, are doing these things. So for most companies, consultants can estimate what a typical company with X amount of vehicles, what their emissions might be, or this amount of electricity use. So it's doable, absolutely. It, it takes work and we acknowledge that it takes time. And so when a company hasn't done any of that work, it will take them a year or or perhaps a little bit more, depending on how big their supply chains are. Investors understand that. So it's a process starting that work and then finding that it's not really as hard as everybody thought it might be because companies are up and down the chain taking action. And something that you often see when it comes to regulatory changes, whether it's Sarbanes-Oxley or whatever, way, companies have to uh, fulfill, com sort of comply with a new process. It's very worrying and frightening. And then once everyone's gone through socks like three or four years in a row, it's kind of just part of a uh, regular part of work. And you see, I should say, I'm, I'm hearing more and more companies requiring their suppliers to admit, you know, to, to, to accept, to promise to provide the relevant greenhouse gas information when they sign their contracts with them. So it's becoming part of a, you know, it's not just like a nice thing for them to have. They're being sort of told to do it. Yes, it is. And, and you, you know, my position is, if you don't know that your suppliers are looking at risk, it's taking that into account, you're you're at risk. So if you're a company that relies on cotton crops and this cotton supplier is does is not taking greenhouse gas or, or climate change into account, you're at risk as a company. So going down that supply chain, making sure that they understand the risks that the suppliers are adjusting. So if you might have a cotton fields in places that are, you know, are experiencing over 100 degree temperatures, do they have backups? Because if, if they don't, and you don't have a backup as a company, you might not be able to supply your t-shirts. And so that's the other part of, of climate change is really understanding where the risks lie in every part of your supply chain and addressing those risks. Is there enough water? Will there be people who can work? What what is heat going to do? Who where's where they're likely to be floods? All those practical issues. And who who's caught flat footed if there are regulations in Europe and other parts of the world? Maybe the U.S. is slightly slower, um, but other parts of the world do have stronger um, climate change regulations. 
Oh, we're taking our time here. <laughs> we're taking our time. And then, you know, that the SEC is, you know, reasonable chance it's going to face a lawsuit over the climate change bills, the um, rules. So, uh, Lord knows when that will happen. Um, I will say regulations always follow mm-hmm. the action. I mean, in for the most part, regulations come after the change has already occurred for the most part. And then you just sweep up everybody who hasn't mm-hmm. responded. Uh, you mentioned that executive compensation is something that, that actually so also uh, looks at. Uh, and I know it's not your, your personal focus area, but one of the things that we, has happened, a feature of this proxy season has been new SEC requirement that companies disclose uh, pay for performance, among other things. Um, I've heard from governance people or companies that it's been... Um, a lot of work to do and often without getting a great deal of interest from investors who sort of say well we could find we could figure this out by other means and if we were interested in it but i think you felt you you've had some feedback or you one of your colleagues has had some feedback on that could you share that with us yeah so i think um there's i i think that's right that many investors are are fairly sophisticated when it comes to these issues and they are already doing their own research. Um, but this does make it simpler. It does make it clearer. And so um, I think you're walking that line of <laughs> the regs may have come out after, you know, companies were already providing information. And, and so then for all those companies that were not, then that's it's helpful. And in fact, investors do a lot of their own research, but if companies can provide the information, then um, investors are just much better informed at an easy, you know, they don't have to go out and do the research because the information is provided for them. So I think you're just in a transition phase where, um, you know, some, some amount of investors have done that research, but they're paying people to do it. And you've got to I, I think what's most important about regulations is that you create some level of comparability. So you have companies that are all reporting in the same manner, and that makes it easier for investors to look at companies one against the other and say, okay, this company is doing better than this one. And I, I'm, I'm, we've actually got reporting that is similar. So I think that's an important part of the equation for investors. Um, New York Climate Week is coming up uh, soon. Um, I would imagine Ashley so has some involvement somewhere along the line, or would like to. Just wonder what what you're hoping for from the from that week, and uh, what involvement, if any, the group has. Yes, so Climate Week is incredibly important. It's a it's a vast exchange of information. So where um, you've got investors, you've got companies, you've got NGOs who are, are sharing information amongst themselves, who are talking about what's working, what's not working, where do we go from here, what's outstanding, what's important. And so it's a really important week. We will be having some panels Monday and Tuesday. So we will put be looking at some of these issues, climate related panels. It's a great week, and I would encourage anybody who has questions or wants to learn more to, to go because it's quite informative. Oh, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. Um, so I know it may be uh, sort of early days, but and and do you have as a group, as, as you so, do you have any thoughts on what might be your priorities for the next proxy season? Taking a deep breath before we get back into that again. Right. Um, I think that. I mean, one, we will continue to work on the issues that we've been working on because we believe they're important. Um, so despite, you know, 
the concern about votes, you know, we feel like we've gotten very strong votes in where it, you know, on the issues that matter, we will continue where there's more education to be done, we'll continue to bring those proposals, even if they get low votes. So I don't see us changing a significant amount. I mean, we're always responsive to where companies are at, what's um, the issues of concern, what's happening particularly. You know, we're seeing a convergence of regulatory um, units come together, like the US and Europe trying to make regulations that make sense. And that's important to us too. So companies get a lot of requests for information. They're subject to many regulations. We would like to see um, as much consistency as possible so that companies' burden are lower and what they're doing is effective because that's always important to make sure that um, they're getting the information that's necessary, they're taking the actions that they need to take, but not doing, you know, so still focusing on their business, which is what we want them to do. So we'll continue. I don't foresee any major new issues, but um, but you never know. Okay, well, um, just finally, just any other sort of um, thoughts you might have uh, coming away from the proxy season in terms of lessons either for groups such as yourself or for, for companies and their governance teams keep on plodding on keep giving us more disclosure uh what would what would you sort of message would you take from it i would say that and i you know what i i suppose if we wanted to address anti-esg my concern is that companies sit back because there's some cover for them not to take action and from our perspective that's not good for climate it's not good for companies who are probably losing um, their competitiveness. So I think that is continues to be a concern of mine that companies, um, you know, especially even in social issues, DEI, what companies need to understand is that there are some anti-ESG forces, but for the most part, um, the youth of today, the employees want to work for companies that are doing the right thing, that if you have a more diverse workforce, you have better ideas, you're more able to address your clientele. So these issues, even though ESG is being pilloried right now, these are the issues that will make a difference to companies being successful and companies not being successful over the long term. So I think we will continue with those messages to say these things are risk-based. They will improve your value or harm your value if you don't take action. And so... I, that would be one thought to, to leave you with. Daniel, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Um, thanks for, thanks for uh, talking about your work. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mark your calendar and book your all-access pass for Governance Live 2023. Our new festival of corporate governance that features three major events across two days on November the 7th and 8th. Don't miss out. Join more than 500 leading governance professionals in New York for the M&A and Activism Forum, the Corporate Secretary Forum, and the Corporate Governance Awards 2023. Governance Live 2023 is your one-stop shop to learn from the last 12 months, celebrate your hard work, and prepare for what will come in 2024. Protect and enhance your shareholder values and diverse your governance strategies for next year. The Gala Awards Night is the biggest celebration of governance excellence 
achievement and innovation in North America. Visit corporatesecretary.com slash governance live to find out more. And to get your discounted early bird all access pass to these three essential events. See you in New York from all of us at Corporate Secretary. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Governance Matters podcast with me, Ben Maiden. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to like, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening.